Hi, I'm Ben Pilgreen, lead pastor of Epic Church in San Francisco, and I want to welcome you to the podcast. Our vision here is to see an increasing number of people in San Francisco orient their entire lives around Jesus. But whether you're listening in from the city that we love here by the bay or wherever you might happen to be in the world today, I want you to know that I'm excited about what God is doing in your life and what he's doing in our Epic Church community. I hope you'll find this message encouraging and that it will inspire you to take your next steps along your faith journey. My guess is that we all understand that there's no getting away from this question, that there's no getting around from the request for our attention. It is constant and it is everywhere. Our challenge is to be wise about deciding who and what gets our attention. Now, there's certain requests, there's certain um, things asking for our attention, superficial requests that we can easily ignore if we choose. Right? They're just not as important. For example, for marketers, right? those who want us to buy or engage with their product, they are asking us, can we have your attention? And we could just say no to that. But there's some other requests. There's some other requests that we really need to take notice of, and quite frankly, we need to say yes to, like from our friends and from our family. Right? Our, our, our parents, our kids, our spouse, our coworkers, our community, our church community, they also want to know, can we have your attention too? Right? And, and, and if I'm being honest, I wish I was better at this. I, I, I wish I was better at giving the most important people in my life my undivided attention, but I just don't always get that right. Just last week, we, our family was on vacation. Actually, a week and a half ago, our family was on vacation. And you would think with a week of rest that I would be able to, get to give my family what they want and what they need. But no. No, you know, one day my son, Honor, was, was talking to me and it just seemed like my mind was on so many other things, probably this message and, and probably everything that's going on around the world. And, and, and I was looking at him and I was looking at his general direction, but it just wasn't registering. Am I the only one that struggles with that? And man, as, I'm, as he's speaking to me, as he's telling me this story, he noticed that I wasn't listening. He noticed. He noticed. If you could get away with it, it's okay. But he noticed, and thankfully, he just laughed. Thankfully, he just laughed when he realized that I wasn't there. I was physically present, but my mind was just somewhere else, somewhere else. But his laugh and his pause let me know that he wanted my attention, but he just didn't have it. He just didn't have it. And I want to get better at that. But after that situation, after that moment, it got me thinking, how often do I not only do this to my family, but how often do I do this to God? How, how often is God trying to get my attention? How often is God trying to get your attention and, and, and we're just not listening? And, and, and listen, quite frankly, my family, they do a really good job of reminding me of my failure in this area. But with God, it's less noticeable. It's less no, no, noticeable. When, when Pastor Ben 
When Pastor Ben shared with me the title and the idea for this series, it, 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 guys, it, it just hit me that this is the question of our lives, whether you realize it or not. I believe that God is asking each and every single one of us this question every day. He's asking you, he's asking me right now, can I have your attention? Can I have your attention? And, and as a church, we believe that to our core. So much so, this is why our vision is what it is, for us to see an increasing number of people in San Francisco orienting their entire lives around Jesus. For us to orient our entire lives around Jesus, it means for us to make him the primary focus of our lives, for, for our attention to be constantly kept on him. Now listen, maybe my tone is telling you something different, but this, the goal of this message today is not to bring guilt on how we are failing in this area. That's, that's not the goal. Needless to say, I know that we don't always get this right, including myself. But my hope for today, my hope for today is for, for me to shine a light on what we are missing out on when we are not giving God our attention. More importantly, my hope for today is, is for us to see the great lengths that God is willing to go in order to grab our attention. And, and hear this, the great lengths that God is willing to go to capture our hearts. That's what he's after, the capturing of our hearts. Because hear this. Whatever has your attention has your heart. Whatever has your attention has your heart. And God gets our attention in order to capture our hearts. And listen, Jesus will stop at nothing to have you, to have all of you. This is why in, in Romans, Paul was writing to the Romans, and in chapter 5, he says something. He says, guys, listen, listen, let me remind you that while we were God's enemies, meaning while we were not following him, we weren't seeking him, we weren't paying him any mind, while we were his enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of Jesus Christ. He did that while we were walking away from him. He made that commitment to us. He gave it all so that he could have us, so that he could have a relationship with us. But if you're anything like me, sometimes it's hard to believe that God would want anything to do with us. I'm preaching to myself today because this is a message that I constantly need to hear. Some of you understand that concept of God, that he will do something for us when we don't deserve it. But for me, sometimes it's like, if I don't deserve it, oh gosh, where, where are you? I feel like he's abandoned me. Rather than seeing a God that is drawing near to me, sometimes I feel like he's walking away from me. And we all do this. We all struggle with this at times. Because quite frankly, we, the reason we feel like that is because we just don't feel spiritual enough. We, we don't feel holy enough. We don't feel deserving enough. But one of the things that we need to understand when it comes to this idea of not being enough, being enough is that it's true. We're not enough. But hear this. God's grace and God's mercy is enough. Is enough. His love is enough. And his love is such, as, as we were just singing a moment ago, that we just can't understand it. We, we can't comprehend it. And so I want us to just be able to today wrap our heads, wrap our hearts around this reckless, crazy love that God has for us. And we're going to do that by looking at one of my favorite stories in the Bible. It's Jesus' conversation with the Samaritan woman at the well. 
And we're not going to read the entire story right now. We're just going to read the part that led Jesus to this encounter with this woman and the first few exchanges that they have together. It's going to be in John chapter 4, verse 3. No need to stand unless you want to. But this is the story, how it begins. John chapter 4, verse 3. It says this. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. So he was in Judea and he's headed to Galilee. And it says this in verse 4. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, this is showing Jesus' humanity, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noontime. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. So it's just Jesus and this woman, and he asked her for a drink. Verse 9, the Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? And then this next line is not from the woman. It's a commentary from John. He writes, For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Verse 10, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Guys, for many reasons, it is surprising, maybe even scandalous that this conversation is even happening, okay? This is not a common occurrence. This is not like one of us having a conversation with a stranger at the grocery store, right? Because I'm tall, sometimes people will ask me, hey, can you grab that up there and I will help them out? And that might start a conversation. But in my case, it doesn't start a conversation because I'm awkward and I don't like meeting new people, so I just kind of move on quickly. But this is not normal. And so we can't put our context into what's happening here in the scriptures. A first century reader would barely expect the two of them to acknowledge each other's presence, let alone speak to one another. Guys, what we need to understand, for starters, is that in that time and place, men would rarely speak to women in public, even if they were married to them. Even if they were married to them. So a single man, better yet, a single rabbi like Jesus, would never, even if he was alone, would never find himself talking to a woman. Never. But Jesus is different. He's different. But not only is she a woman, she's a Samaritan. And Jews avoided Samaritans at all costs. Now, Samaritans were part Jewish, but these were Jews that had mixed with other nations in previous generations. And, and the, the, the purists, the Jews, viewed that as a compromise to their nationality, to, to, the, to, to who they were in Christ, in, in God, sorry. So they viewed that as a compromise. So the Jews treated the Samaritans as despised half-breeds, despised half-breeds. And this was common and known throughout. That's why this woman is shocked that Jesus is speaking to her. She says, right, in, in verse 9, you are a Jew, Like, hold, I want you to just picture, hold on, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? What is happening here? 
And then John gives us the commentary for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. He's basically wanting us to see the magnitude of what's happening here. And some of your Bibles have a footnote next to that comment from John, which says this, or they do not use dishes Samaritans have used. So this is the point. Jews do not associate with Samaritans, and they don't use dishes that Samaritans have used. But here Jesus is, a Jew, asking a Samaritan woman for a drink. He's breaking every cultural norm, or at least some major cultural expectations. Why? Why? Before we get there, before we answer that, it gets better, or, or worse, depends on how you look at this. There's a third reason why this conversation should not be happening. Jesus reveals that he knows more about this woman than she could have ever imagined. He reveals that he knows that she has had five husbands and that the man that she is currently with is not her husband. L look at verses 16 through 19. It says this, he told her, he told her, as the conversation is Progressing along, he told her, go call your husband and come back. Let's continue the conversation. Verse 17, I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. This is him revealing. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. And I love her response. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Jesus has got her attention for many reasons. He has got her attention. He's got her attention for starters because, hold on, you know that and yet you're still talking to me? But, 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 but before we get there, listen, I, I know that in the West and, and in our modern times, we view ourselves as a bit progressive, as a bit understanding that people struggle with things. But even some of us would be giving this woman the side eye, right? Like, girl, come on, get your act together. Five husbands, and you're still struggling with this. Come on, right? But just think about her day and age. The reason, the very reason why she is drawing water from the well during the hottest part of the day, right? It was noon. They're in the desert. It's arid. It's hot. The reason she is drawing water during the hottest part of the day, when all the other women more than likely came at sunrise, or will come later on at dusk, right? When it's cooler, the reason she's coming now is because she had ruined her reputation. She had ruined her reputation, and she was tired. She was exhausted. She was ashamed from all the scorn and all the looks and all the criticism that she received from the other women and the people in her town. She was tired of it. But here's what I love. Even with Jesus knowing all about the skeletons in her closet, he pulled them out. He showed her, I know. He still engages her in conversation. He still wants to get her attention. He's different. He's different. But don't just think he's speaking to her because he's thirsty. No, no, no. In verse 4, we read an interesting statement. It says that Jesus had to go through Samaria. It says that Jesus had to go through Samaria. Did you, did you see that? He had to. Why? Why? It, it just doesn't add up. Every commentator and every biblical scholar that I read, 
they mention and they make it clear that even though it was faster to get to Galilee by going through Samaria, no self-respecting Jew would ever take that route. Again, because of the strife between these two people groups. No self-respecting Jew would take that route. And, he, and maybe we might say, oh, he was probably in a rush to get to Galilee, right? There's no indication that Jesus was in a rush to get there. In fact, if you keep reading the story, Jesus actually stays in Samaria for a couple days because the people ask him to. So he's not in a rush. But hear this. He had to go through Samaria because he had something to say to this woman. This woman who no one else had anything good to say to or about, he had something to say. He had something to ask her. He wanted to know, hey, can I have your attention? Can I have your attention? So tell me, now, that's her story. Now I want to talk to you. Does it feel like God is distant? Does it feel to you that God is disappointed or disinterested or uninterested in you? If you answer yes to any of those questions, that, that, that shouldn't be the case. You see, because God may not have your attention, but you definitely have his. You definitely have his. Guys, John is not sharing this story because this is atypical of Jesus. No, no, he's sharing because the same Jesus that had to go through Samaria and the same Jesus that was willing to break every cultural norm or these major cultural norms of the time is the same Jesus that comes to you in your time of need. I hope we can see the character of God in a new way today if we have seen him as a God who is distant or disappointed. No, no, no. He comes to you. But I get it. If we haven't been living in a way that pleases God, if we haven't been reading our Bible or praying, it it, it makes it hard. It's easy to think that God has abandoned us, that he's mad at us. It's hard to picture him drawing close to us. And even if we could picture him saying something to us, we can't imagine that it would be anything good. But that's not the picture of God or Christ that we get in the scriptures. Listen, God will meet us when we least expect him to. When we least expect him to. Today, if you feel far away from God, you are actually closer to him than you could imagine. You're closer to him than you could imagine. We have a God and Savior that makes his way towards us when we don't deserve it. We have a Savior that is willing to leave the 99 to go after the one, and you are the one. You are the one. He will do things that will confound us, that will blow us away. That is the image of God that we need to have. Psalm 34, 18 says that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. That's interesting, right? Because I know that for many of us, for many of us, when we are brokenhearted or when we are crushed, that's when we feel furthest from God. That's when we often say, God, where are you? Where are you? But he's wanting to remind you, he's wanting to remind me that he's right there with us, that he's with us, that in this time, that in everything we're going through, not just with, with, with the virus, not just with, the, with, with what, what's happening in our world, but even in our personal troubles and our struggles, He's with us. 
He's with us. So let us take comfort in God's presence because he is with us. But also, let us take heed to Jesus' request for our attention. You see, because just like my son, that story I shared earlier, it's one thing to be close and a quite a completely different thing to give him our attention. God comes close, but that's not enough. He's also going to call out that which has us distracted. He's going to call it out. Let's, let's look at how he does it with the woman, and then we can apply it to our lives. In verse 10, Jesus tells the woman, if you knew the gift of God and who it, who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. We, we remember this, right? Jesus begins the conversation by asking for a drink. He breaks the wall by asking for a drink. But this is a common technique of Jesus to use earthly topics like water and drinks and wells and husbands in order to point out heavenly realities. He does this often. He did it with Nicodemus in chapter 3, just the chapter right before. He's talking about being born again. He's talking about something spiritual. He does it in chapter 2 with the wedding at, at Cana, right, when he turns water into wine. He's talking about something more glorious than just water turning into wine. He's talking about spiritual realities. So he's shifting the focus from talking about a drink of water to something of greater importance. And then look at what he says in verses 13 and 14. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again from this well. They're, they're going to be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring, not just something still that you have to draw from. It's going to be a spring of water welling up, et up to eternal life. This is what he's trying to say to us. This is what he's trying to communicate to her and to us is that the reason we need to come to him is because we're thirsty. We're thirsty. Our soul has a thirst that is not being quenched by, by the water that we are going to. The problem is, is that we are drinking water from wells that can never satisfy our soul's thirst. We all have a well. We all have a well or several wells that we are running to. We just keep running to them, hoping that it will quench our thirst. And it might for a moment but well, we just have to keep coming back because it's not satisfying. Because the irony is, is that the more you drink of the things that you thought would quench the thirst, the thirstier you seem to get. The thirstier you seem to get. Let me give you an illustration. Can you, can you imagine being thirsty and, and, and in order to try to quench your thirst, you drink syrup? I had pancakes yesterday. That's not helpful. But that's what we do. For this woman... The well she kept running to, it was the men in her life. It was the men. She kept going back to that well, but it wasn't doing it for her. And so I, here's my question to you. What is the well for you? What is the well for you? Is it a relationship, one you have or you don't have? Is it, is it your career? Is it success, money, religion? Is it Is it pleasure? For me, it's, 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 it's like a self-sufficiency, comfort, wanting to be perfect, wanting to, to breeze through life, wanting to do it on my own. I keep running back to that. These are things that take away our attention from Jesus. 
Now, these things aren't necessarily bad, but they also aren't ultimate. Your thirst is such that the very best mate or the very best job or the very best career just won't satisfy you. It can't be done. You will never find eternal satisfaction in anything else, only in Jesus. And if you are a believer, if you are a Christ follower, you know that to be true. You've experienced that satisfaction. And if you're not, the invitation is for you to come and taste and try and drink from the water that Jesus offers us. And here's one thing we need to understand about how Jesus calls out those things that have our attention, those wells, those waters in our lives. Jesus didn't call out the women's five husbands because he wanted to shame her. No, what Jesus is after is freedom from that very thing that continues to make us thirsty. What Jesus is after is to capture our hearts. He wants to be in a relationship with you and with me. And this message applies whether you consider yourself a Christian or not. I know that for myself. I know that for myself. Whenever I feel thirsty figuratively, whenever I feel like I'm lacking purpose or love, whenever I feel like this want and this need, this dryness, it's because I have taken my focus and attention away from Jesus. That's what's happened. So we've been invited to come and drink. Let me close with this. As we have discussed already... And it's been clear that this conversation, the the setting for this conversation is taking place at a well. It's taking place at a well. I don't think that's a coincidence. It's not a coincidence. In in fact, in the Old Testament, the the well was significant to marriage. It, It was Maybe not, maybe not necessarily to marriage, but it was, a, it was significant as far as a meeting place for future couples, right? If you, if you know your scriptures, if the, the Bible, you, you would know that, right, it was at the well that Abraham's servant found, um, it found Isaac's wife, Rachel, Rebecca, sorry. It was at the well that Abraham's servant found Isaac's wife, Rebecca. It was at the well that Jacob met his wife, Rachel. And it was also at the well that Moses met his wife, Uh, Zipporah and her sisters. And this is a common motif, a common theme that we find in the Old Testament of these men meeting their wives at the well. And and, and even even though the Samaritan woman wasn't Jewish, she was still religious, and their Bible was the Pentateuch. They had rejected the prophets, but she knew these themes. So you have Abraham's servant, Meeting Rebecca at the well, Jacob, Moses. Moral of the story, if you're looking for a spouse, you need to go to a well. (laughs) We have no wells in San Francisco. That's probably our problem, right? But I think more importantly, what if Jesus, what if Jesus is using this backdrop to to ask this brokenhearted woman, "Will, will you trust me with your heart? Will you trust me with your heart? This woman who has no proper marriage, he's calling her into a new and redeeming relationship with himself. He's asking her for her attention because he wants her heart. And that very same request is coming to us. God is asking us for our attention. He's calling us into a new redeeming relationship with him. Because remember, whatever has your attention has your heart. And God gets our attention in order to capture 
our hearts. If you keep reading the story, you will know that this woman came to faith in Jesus, came to believe in him. She came to say yes. Today, Jesus asks you, can I have your attention? Let's respond in the same way as she did with faith. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for this time. God, for your great love, a love that it just boggles our minds. It is beyond what we could understand or know. But we're grateful for it, God, that even though we are undeserving, God, you pursue us. Your mercy is great. I pray that we will see that you're not mad at us, that you're not distant, that you're not disappointed, but that you want us. That's why you sent your son Jesus to die for our sins, so that we can be reconciled to you. And our role right now is to say yes, is to respond in faith. And I love that John, in this story with this woman, and later on, even in John 6, he quotes Jesus by saying that anyone who puts their faith in you will never thirst again. God, today, some of us are thirsty. We're thirsty because our attention hasn't been on you. I pray that you will help us. Turn to you. Give us the faith that we need, the courage to turn away from that which has been distracting us, those waters, those wells that don't satisfy, that don't quench our thirst, but so that we can turn to you. We thank you for the gift of love and salvation that you offer us. In Christ's name we pray, amen and amen. At this time, the band's going to lead us in a song called Reckless Love. You know it, we've sang it here before many times, but let it be a reminder of that love that we can't comprehend, we can't understand, but it is for you, it is towards you. Let us respond, let us embrace it. If you've made a decision today to put your faith in Jesus, to say yes to him, let us know that on the connect card online that you can fill out. And let's continue to lean in to this great love from our God. Thank you so much for joining us on the Epic Church Podcast today. If you would like to learn more, you can go to epicsf.com. I want to also encourage you to download the Epic SF app so that you can keep up with everything that God is doing in and through this community in downtown San Francisco.